Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. And uh, I, I've just come back from uh, a number of um, a number of speaking opportunities, and uh, I was at a, a conference down uh, in the south of England, and I was speaking on to lots of people, and uh, and it was going quite well, and until um, I think about the fourth morning when I was about to walk into this arena thing and about to do the Bible teaching, and I saw three older ladies who were stood outside um, the kind of tent area, and they were obviously from Devon or somewhere like that. And they were having a conversation, and it went like this. Because there were two options, at least two or three options of places to go, and they really weren't sure where to go. And a guy called Kenny Borthwick, who just preaches up the road, he was in another kind of small, I just want to say smaller venue. He was in a smaller venue, just, just nearby. And they were having this conversation. They went, we don't know where to go. And then this guy walks up and he said, I don't know where to go this morning. They said immediately, instantly, they said, go to hear Kenny Borthwick. He speaks for 20 minutes. It's interesting. The guy in there goes on for about 45 rants a lot and you get fidgety. <laughs> that was me. I walked past. I said, Hi. <laughs> They had no idea who I was. It was fine. So uh, buckle up. <laughs> 45 minutes. Brace yourselves. Um, but God did some incredible things. You know, over 100 people. I wanted to come up during open mic. Over 100 people in the, in the morning Bible readings got saved. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I think that's weird. I mean, who goes to a Christian conference? Who spends all that money, camps, and comes to Bible teaching in the morning. I tell you who does, husbands do. Over a hundred of them getting saved, coming to, to know Jesus. Isn't that incredible? God's up to, up to something. So we're starting a new series uh, tonight that we, uh, I, I have called Fire, Feast, and Frontier. It seemed like a really good idea about six months ago when I planned the teaching series. And uh, when I began to look at it, it didn't seem like such a good idea. But today we're going to talk about fire. And it's, and it's predicated on one, one idea. It's predicated on this idea that God has one ambition for your life and one ambition at the core. He's got one ambition for your life. There's a whole bunch of other things that are going to flow out of that ambition. He has a whole number of other kind of side ambitions, but, but at the heart, he has one ambition for you. He says, my ambition for you is we. That's what I want. Above anything else, my ambition for you is that you get to know me, that you walk in a relationship with me. Everything else is frosting. Everything else is going to flow out of that. I, I want you to experience me. I want you to know me. I want this to be dynamic. I want it to be real. I want you to walk in lockstep with me. I want us to talk as father and child. I, I want us to walk along the road together. I don't want this to be a distant thing or a one-time thing or a thing you once did or a thing that was yesterday's thing or a thing when you were young and vibrant and enthusiastic you did. I want this to be a forever thing in an intimate relationship with me. And I want you to enjoy that in community, yes, because you can't reflect my image unless you do it together. It just doesn't work. 
And I'm gonna, I want you to, to, to flow out with that love, of course, because everything that, that, that comes in you is supposed to flow out of you. you know, the transformation God does in you, he's supposed to do through you. Of course, all that stuff, but first, I want you and me, and me and you. That's why prayer. God didn't give you prayer to discipline your life, however it feels. He gave you prayer so that you would catch a glimpse of the heartbeat of the Father. That's what it's about. God didn't give you the Bible so you could answer some really deep theological questions about who God is. He gave you the Bible so you would understand some of the secrets of the universe and some of the secrets of the Father's heart. God didn't give you worship because he's a narcissist. He didn't, put, he didn't say, I really would like my name on a big screen quite a lot on Sundays because that would be cool and make me feel good. He gave us worship so that our hearts would be softened and calibrated to his heart for this world so that we would know him. That's what it's about. I have one ambition for your life. That you would know me. And today we're going to talk about fire, which I said sounded like a great idea a long time ago. I'd love, it, I'd love it if you'd turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel in chapter 15. And I'm going to turn perhaps to the greatest story ever told. And it's a dangerous thing to do because probably most people in this building have heard this story and many people in this building think they could teach this story. So it's a dangerous thing to begin to, to unpack. But why I want to go here, because I could have gone to a whole bunch of really interesting places around fire. We could have gone to a burning bush or a pillar of fire. We, we, we could have gone to a, a, a fiery furnace in the Old Testament. We could have gone to Mount Carmel and the, the prophets of Baal. We could have gone to, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, John the Baptist. We could have gone to the Pentecost experience when the Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire. But I think the Father wants me to spend some time with us around the fire of his presence and the fire of his person, and the fire of his grace. So turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and we're going to take a look at the story of the two sons. Good news, those of you who are under 30, you can now get the Bible in print. Do you know that? Not just, no, okay. And we're not going to read it, we're just going to talk through it because you've got it in front of you, it's going to come up on the screen. i tell you why. Because here's a story that suggests to us that we can live in the Father's house but have no real sense of the Father. Here's a story that says that you can be in close proximity to grace and never have grace invade your heart. Here's a story that tells you you can get lost you can get lost in the far country doing everything you want to do and you can get lost in the Father's field doing everything you think God wants you to do. But lost is lost is lost is lost. And grace is the only way home. And the Father's greatest ambition for you is you and him and him and you and intimacy. And the only way to intimacy is through this thing called grace. So that's all I want to do today. It's very, very simple. I just want to talk about grace. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. Now, now, in order for us to understand this, you have to go to the start of Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2, because this is really interesting. 
I want you to notice in verse 1 and 2, it says, The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I think what we're supposed to understand is these two categories of people correspond to the two sons in the story. That's what's going on. Jesus is going to tell a story about two sons directly aligned to the two groups of people that he's speaking in front of. He's got two groups. One group is wholly bad. And they totally understand they're bad. And there is absolutely no way that God is ever going to approve of them. One group of people is wholly good. They totally think they're brilliantly good. And they think that God should absolutely approve of them. And both groups are lost. Jesus says there's one group that consists of two people, two groups of people. There's one group that consists of sinners. They're just the ordinary common old garden sinners. You know, ordinary bad people like Manchester City fans and that kind of thing. You know, just, just, just bad people. And, and they're just ordinary people, but they're bad people. And, and, then, and then they've also got uh, the tax collectors who are a whole individual category of bad. They're really bad. They're, they're, they were so bad. They were like the collaborators. They were, the, they were the, the pyramid sellers. They were the ones who skimmed stuff off the top. They made the rules and they screwed people underneath them and everyone hated the tax collectors. So there's that group there. And they're like... The younger sons. They didn't keep any ceremonial law. They didn't keep any sacrificial law. And they they really, really, really irritated the older brothers. Who on the other side of the equation are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And notice, I love this, they are muttering. Turn to the person next to you and say, muttering. Come on, get all Pentecostal with me. It's a good word. It's a great word, and muttering. It's one of those, is, what's the word? Is it onomatopoeic? Is it onomatopoeic? It sounds like what it is. Pharisees are always muttering, aren't they? You know if you're a Pharisee that you're always muttering. You're always murmuring. You're always kind of moaning. It's always somebody who's done something wrong and they shouldn't do this and have you checked out them and look at that and judging this and that's pharisaical and these guys are the older brothers and they absolutely hate the younger brothers and it's really weird because they can't get Jesus because people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus. Isn't that weird? And Jesus who is nothing like them likes them. And they hang out together. Does he condone their behavior? Mm. So Jesus is brilliant. He's a brilliant storyteller. He's got these two groups of people and he starts telling stories. Instead of answering the questions, he tells stories. And I want you to notice this. He's speaking in front of two groups of people, but he's addressing one group. And that's why this is so important. He's speaking to two groups of people, but he's addressing the older brothers. He's addressing their muttering and their moaning and their judging and their lostness. And that's why he tells the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the two sons. Jesus is about to tell a story of grace. And he's got everyone where he wants them. He says, the younger son comes. And his younger son, he says, dad, I want my share of the inheritance right now. And and we read that because we've read it so many times because some of us grew up in Sunday Club and because it's the most famous story in the world. We hear that stuff and we're not shocked by it. But everyone listening to Jesus goes, "Ah!" not quite as girly as that, but (laughs) anyway, they're shocked because this is outrageous. 
Basically, he's just said, Dad, I want you dead. Dad, I want you dead. Because I, I, until you die, I can't have my stuff, and I value stuff more than I value you. And everyone is appalled by this. And probably the deal is two-thirds to the older son, one-third to the younger son. And so his dad probably didn't have the money. He had to liquidate some assets. He had to sell some of the farm. But he got it together, and he gave it to the son. And the son went away to the far country, and he blew it. And, 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 and some of you who are mums and dads, you know exactly how that feels. Because you do everything for relationship. You do everything out of grace and out of love in your best moments. And every time your kids come back to you and they want stuff and they want it sorted now and, and, and they're, not, they're not displaying grace, you know how that feels. It breaks your heart. It breaks the heart of Father God. Jesus is trying to tell us something about ourselves. I think he's saying, do you know what? Every single one of us at some stage in our life runs from the Father. Every single one of us runs from the presence of God. Sometimes you ran because of what church did to you or how boring you thought church was or how controlling it was or, or sometimes you ran because of something somebody who was supposed to represent God to you did to you and they didn't represent God to you and if that's what God is like then there's no way I want anything to do with God or maybe you just ran from God because you understood something of what God demanded and it was a bit too bright and it was a bit too difficult and you said, you know what? I'm totally out of here and you ran from God. Do you know what also the passage says? Father God will let you go. He's going to let you go. He's not going to force you. Because forced love is not love. So he says, if you want to run, you can run. And it breaks his heart. And so the son runs. And he spends all the money and he blows it. And everyone is totally shocked because the father had to liquidate assets and it's awful. And they're into the story. And, and then he loses everything and he gets to the end of himself. And he has to go and hire himself out to a guy who, who feeds pigs. And he has to feed pigs. And this is atrocious and awful for everybody. But secretly in their heart, they're really excited about this story because he's getting his comeuppance. Yes! He loses it all. Yes! Bad son. Yes! Pigs. This is fantastic. This is going so well. Something else that we need to understand and learn. When you run from God, your life will begin to unravel. Maybe not now. Maybe not next week. Maybe not even next year. But at some stage, your life will begin to unravel. Because your life is absolutely cemented and rooted in the Father's house. Because you ran from the source of wisdom and you ran from the source of love and you ran from the source of purpose and you ran from the source of life. How in the world are you going to get those things, love, wisdom, purpose and life outside of the Father's house? And before you know it, things begin to unravel and he lets it. He lets it. Breaks his heart, but he lets it. Not to get you back or to pay you back but to bring you back. He lets it. And so everyone's going, yes, yes, yes. And then Jesus goes and ruins their party. Because he says the son comes to himself. And go, oh no, the son comes to himself. We thought he was going to feed pigs the rest of his life. 
The son comes to himself. And he says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm going to run back to my father and it's going to be amazing. I'll just be a servant, but it'd be much better than feeding pigs. And he starts on his journey. But here's the thing. The son and they know, those who are listening, what the thing is. The son is fearful of something. He's fearful of something as he runs. That's why he's practicing, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Because there is a ceremony in ancient Israel. And the ceremony in ancient Israel is called Kazeza. The ceremony of Kazeza meant that, that, that when somebody who had abused their father and abused the village and done wrong was coming home and wanting to come home, they would be met by the group of elders at the city gate. Because the elders often sat at the city gate. And if they saw him coming, they would prepare a ceremony. The prepare ceremony was called Kazeza. They would get a, a clay pot and they would smash it into a thousand pieces in front of him. And they would say, you have rejected your father. You are no longer worthy to be called a son. You are now banished from this community. And forevermore, your name will be canceled out. And they go, yes, Kazeza is coming. And Jesus says, the father sees the son and runs and runs. Why does he run? I'll tell you. He runs not just in an undignified way and hitches up his skirt because he sees his son, because he's looking in the distance and he sees his son and he sees his son run and he knows that's his son's run because he knows that was his run and he can see the family likeness and he thinks that's my son so he hitches up his skirt. No father would do this and he doesn't just run because he loves his son. He runs to get ahead of the elders, to get ahead of the shame, to get ahead of the kazeza. I'm going to meet. I'm going to meet him first. And some of you here tonight would say, I'm a younger son. Don't even know why I'm here. Stood in the far country doing my thing, saying I'm really done with God and that stuff. And I'm not really sure whether I believe anything. And, and there's something in you that wants to come back, but you know how shameful that will feel. Here's, here's what I need to tell you. The, the moment that you take one step towards the Father, he will run towards you. And when he runs, he runs to cover your shame. No shame, just forgiveness. No shame, just forgiveness. No shame, just forgiveness. Just restoration, just love, and just grace. We have to get some things right, but just love and just grace. And everyone's disappointed. Really? And then he makes it worse. He says, well, bring a, bring a robe and put it on his back. Bring sandals and put him on his feet. Bring a ring. He's not going to be a slave anymore. He's going to be a servant. He's not going to be a servant. He's going to be a son. He, his identity is totally restored and his authority is restored. He, he probably had pawned his ring. I reckon. That's not in the Bible. That's just me. But, but I think he had. I mean, I, I reckon he didn't. I mean, he's the kind of guy, he's not going to give the ring back, is he, if it's worth money? So he probably took the ring and he probably pawned the ring and the, and the father produces another ring and says, this ring which is the symbol of your authority is now restored to you. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? I'm not just restoring your identity. You're not just going to be a, a son. You're going to have authority as a son. And some of you younger sons are thinking, do you know what? I, I, I screwed up. My, my, in, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my business, with my finances, in church leadership, I had a moral failure. There is absolutely no way I can return. It's just going to be shame. You need to hear two things. The father cuts off shame. And he runs to forgive. 
And secondly, you need to hear that failure is an event, not a person. And the Father is looking to restore, not just identity, but he's looking to restore authority. And he says, you can serve again. We've got some things to work through, but you can serve again. It's incredible. And, and, and usually when I was a kid growing up, and it probably isn't true for you because you probably went to better churches than I did. I hope this isn't being recorded. But, but, but you know, I, I grew up, the story stopped there. That was the story of the prodigal son. And if you're a prodigal son, you can come home. But you see, we know something better, don't we? We know that this story is addressed to Pharisees. And we know that what Jesus is really trying to say is what is about to come. He's just set that up as a whole kind of context of grace. By the way, let's get this story out of the way so we can deal with the real issues here. There's a second son. And the second son is equally lost. He doesn't know it yet but he's equally lost. He's in the father's field and he's equally lost. And it's really interesting that Jesus says he's missing out on grace. And he does this analysis of older brother lostness. And we're gonna pause here just for a moment because this is really important. He says, you know, older brothers, they're bitter and they're superior. It's kind of a symptom of the way in which church so often works. Older brothers, bitter and superior. He's angry. His words drip with anger, don't they? That son of yours, he says. He won't even say my brother. He won't even say his name. That son of You know what it's like when, I don't know if you do, maybe you don't. If one of your kids ever does something wrong, I would often say, Nikki, that daughter of yours, it's like it's her fault. That son of yours, don't judge me for that. that. That son of yours, he says, he's kind of bitter and angry. Do you know what? When something goes wrong in your life, older brothers, they don't just get sad, they get mad. They don't just get sad, they get bitter, they get resentful, they get resentful towards other people, they get jealous and competitive with other people, it's all right for them, and they get resentful and bitter towards God. I'll tell you why. Because their relationship with God is transactional, not covenantal. I don't get grace. So if I do good things for God, and if I work really hard for God, then he's going to do good things for me. And if I do good things for God, and he doesn't do good things for me, something must be wrong, and I need to get angry with God. I struggle with faith, and perhaps I even lose faith. Because my relationship with God was wrong in the first place. It was all about what I could do for God, and how I needed to serve God. And they're also superior, aren't they? They're always judging everybody else. Older brothers are always judging. They're always comparing. They're always competitive. They're always jealous. I'll tell you why. It's because, they, it's because they are insecure. They don't know who they are. They don't get grace. They don't understand that they're loved because they're loved because they're loved. They, 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 they think that somehow they have to achieve and therefore it's a competition. And so, so, you know, he has slept with prostitutes like that's the end of the argument. He slept with, by the way, do you know, he's been with prostitutes like because we judge sexual sin way above everything else. Remember that? This is the church. You know, really bad thing. Don't tell mum. But it's just kind of bitter and superior and jealous. But look how the father deals with him. I love this. He deals with him exactly the same way he deals with the younger son. Look at, look at the verses here. Look at, look at verse um, 
28. His father goes out to him. In a mirror image of the father who runs to cut off shame, the father goes in to the field. He goes to him. He doesn't leave him to stew. He goes to him. And then he calls him my son. Or, or actually, better translation, child. And with one word, the father reveals all the distortion in the older son's heart. You're not a slave, you're not a servant. You're a child. Your, your primary identity is not older brother or inheritor. Your primary identity is child. Your primary identity is not anything that anyone has ever spoken to you or stuck on you or expected of you. Your primary identity is son or daughter of God. That's about, that's what grace is about. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. It's better than your plan. Child. He says, and it changes everything. You are always with me. That's grace. You're always with me. And I think the older brother gets annoyed at this point. I can't prove it. I think he's, dad, dad, you've changed. You've changed the subject. I'm talking about rights. I'm talking about fatted calves and goats and he was a pig it's all about animals goats, pigs, fatted calves and I'm really angry and you, I never got a party and, and he's going he's gonna to take some of my inheritance now because whose was that fatted calf it belonged to me and now it's all rights and law and I need to get and father goes no, 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 no. You, you could totally misunderstand this is exactly the subject you don't get grace you are always with me. You're always with me. I am always with you. That's grace. You get to be a son in the Father's house. You get to abide with me. You get to walk with me. You get to hang out with me. We get to do life together. That's grace. And older brothers... That's why older brothers really struggle in worship. Because we don't get grace. That's why we're always looking at other people and we're judging other people because we don't get grace. That's why we find it hard to, to, to express ourselves in love for God because we don't get grace. And, and it's because, it's because, look, this. Verse 29, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've, I've, I've completely misunderstood this thing. I, 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 I thought that I was supposed to be a servant and a slave of the Father and I thought you were a Father who issued orders. I misunderstood this whole deal, this whole God thing, this whole church thing. I, I just totally... I've misunderstood it. You are always with me. And then Jesus says, the Father says, all that is mine is yours. And I think what he's doing there is he's looking right over the sinners and the tax collectors. He's not even looking at them anymore. He's looking directly in the eyes of the Pharisees and he's saying, all that is mine is yours. Not, not as wages for slaves, but as inheritance for sons and daughters. 
Everything I've got, everything that is mine, all the cattle on a thousand hills, forget about the fatted calf for a second. Everything I've got, all the joy, all the purpose, all the life of the kingdom of God, all the abundance of everything I've got, it's, it's mine and so therefore it's yours because you're children. I'm looking for kids who will enjoy my bounty. I'm not looking for slaves who will serve my purposes. And I think the beautiful thing is, I, I think the father says it with love. And I think Jesus addresses older brothers and younger sons with love. He says, I'm not angry with you. I'm not angry with you. I love you. Runners and strivers. Above everything is I have one ambition for you. And my ambition is we. I have one ambition for you. Everything's going to flow out of it. The transformation of this world will flow out of it. If you get this, I have one ambition for you. It's not about the transformation of society. Not, not, not firstly and primarily. It's not about the salvation of people. Not firstly and primarily. It's about what I'm doing with you. And if what I do with you is grace, then you will flow with grace. And the salvation stuff and the transformation stuff will take care of itself because you get grace. And grace is something that's going to flow. As it's been given to you, you will give. As you've received, you will give and you will flow with this stuff. If you try and do the works without the grace, it'll soon become legalism and law and it will kill what I'm doing. Would you come for grace? Would you come for grace? Would you get to know grace? And you know, I, I, I know this story really well because I'm an older brother. I'm a religious guy. Try not to be. I, I've been a younger brother. Boy, was I a younger brother. And I came for grace. And the father ran. And he embraced me. But I had this temptation in my heart again and again and again to become an older brother. To start working, to start living out of duties, to start striving, to start making things happen, to start planning things and start holding things and start letting it grip my heart. And it loses joy and it loses life and it loses purpose. I find myself having to have my heart recalibrated around grace again and again and again. And I've ranted for 45 minutes. And all I really wanted to say is it's maybe time to come home for some of us. There are some younger brothers who, um, who just need to come home today because it started to unravel and you know why it's unraveling. It's because you ran from the Father's house. And you know that's where life is. And it's kind of time to come home. And you need to know this, and you need to know this very, very clearly so you're in no doubt. The moment you turn and take one step, yes, the Father will let you go because he's not a bully boy God. He will let you go. And yes, he will let it unravel. Sometimes even he'll be involved in the unraveling because he loves you too much to let it go well. But the moment you turn, the moment that you take one step, he will run with his skirts hitched up and he will get ahead of the shame. You will meet the father before you meet the older brother. That's really important. And you can come home to grace. You can do that today. And there are some older brothers. Maybe there are even more of us in here. 
who, you know, we turn up in church and we do the right thing and we serve really well and we're great people and we have great vision and great plans and God's doing some really good stuff in and around us, but there is a dearth of grace in us because it stopped being about grace and our hearts got cold and hard and we started to be critical and judgmental and have opinions about everything. God says, you can come home too. You're not supposed to be in the field, you're supposed to be in the house. I want to warm your heart and I want to change your life. Should we stand together? Let's just pray, shall we? I'm going to... Um, Father, I just I thank you that you can be totally trusted. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that your DNA is grace. I thank you that you run in an undignified manner to cover my shame. And I thank you you've done it for me and you do it for me. And I thank you that you, you love me when I'm in the Father's field. You love me when I judge. You love me when I get angry. You love me when I'm bitter. You love me when I'm superior. And you want to show me grace. And as for me, I, I want to come home. I want to be home. 